This is Mackenzie Milton, and you're listening to One Night Stand. Caught with straight shots and then pop bottles. Yeah. Flirt with the hood rats, then pop models. Uh-huh. Caught with yeah. straight shots and then pop bottles. Yeah. Flirt with the hood rats, then okay, pop Okay, we poppin' champagne like we won a championship game. Look like I got on a championship game. Cause I ball hard. Don't be by harder. I am the bird man. This is one. Night stand. Brought to you by SeatGeek. Use promo code UCF Problems for twenty dollars off your FAU tickets. That's promo code UCF Problems on SeatGeek for twenty dollars off your FAU tickets. See you guys this Saturday. What up, night fans? It's Tuesday, September third. On this week's One Night Stand, we talk about the FAMU game. We have Pro Football Focus analyst. Anthony Squints Lenahan come on the show to break down the quarterback play of the last game and give us a look ahead at FAU. We also discuss Bam Moore's injury, talk about what surprised us for the first week of college football and what didn't. We have a new segment called Probs Probs, of course, answering all your questions in Moo's mailbag. And of course, weekly picks from my co-host, Money Moo, UCF goes 1-0 for the first time this year, handing FAMU a 62 to nothing loss, their third shutout for the defense in four seasons. We also saw action from three UCF quarterbacks who all threw a touchdown pass. Yeah, so I guess that's where we'll start. The big news, obviously, Dylan Gabriel coming in on the third drive, and what, like two, three plays later, throws a touchdown to Otis, like, of course, right in the corner of the end zone that's right in front of me, and I'm just like, I just lost it going crazy. I'm like, this is it. This is the future. You know, Wimbush came in and had some nice throws, had some bad throws. Literally, he is exactly what we thought he was going to be, and then Dylan comes in and is exactly what we were hoping he was going to be. Um, what, what did you see from them? No, I think you're right. Uh we knew Brandon Wimbush had some accuracy issues coming into the season. Uh, we saw those accuracy issues, although we did see I loved his first touchdown to Gabe Davis. It was right on the money. Yeah, he had some great throws. And, but but just before he had a streaking Gabe Davis, it was like 10 yards wide open and overthrew him, overthrew him. by like another 10. I counted three wide open touchdowns that he just – Missed. <laughs> yeah, and, and then he had some good throws too. Obviously, he's you know he's bigger. He's a much better runner than Dylan Gabriel. I mean, Dylan is literally like a little bit like stockier version of KZ his freshman year. Like, if not maybe better. Like, definitely look more confident and poised. But you know, you got to remember, and I always say KZ had a you know a lot of fumble issues and stuff his freshman year. But this is a whole it was it was a whole new offense, a whole new coach, completely different offense for a lot of these guys than you know what they were used to running the year before with George O'Leary and also we didn't have such a good offensive line which you know makes the core you can have a an average quarterback look great with a good offensive line we see it in the NFL all the time so he's definitely got a um, he's, he's got a better hand he's playing with than KZ did his freshman year um, even the TV announcers were saying that they had to squint their eyes to see, like they <laughs> thought it was McKenzie in the bat in the uh, oh. backfield. Yeah, I mean, it's good. The the future is looking great. Obviously, it's still a, not the biggest sample size, but it kind of confirmed what we were saying all along about these two quarterbacks. Um, 
you know, obviously we have this game versus FAU, which we'll get into a little bit more later. I think it should be a pretty easy win for us. So hopefully, I mean, not hopefully, the, I know for a fact these guys are going to alternate every two, every three drives. And I think that will really be the final test to see who the starter is going to be versus Stanford, right? I don't know. I feel like we're going to have this conversation. You said it last week. We're going to have this conversation every single week. I, you know, I don't know, man. Quarterback or uh, hype being a, you know, a former quarterback, I think it's important to really have one guy as you go forward throughout the season. But I mean, that's not to say that when we get up by a little bit that guy number 2 is not going to get a lot of looks because I think we need them both to be ready. Um as we saw last year, you know, injuries happen and uh Although we were lucky that Mac had some experience playing that ECU game, it wasn't really that much. And I think experience from game to game to game is really important, um, especially for DG's development. Wimbush, it's more of him getting comfortable in the offense and stuff. But, uh, yeah, so, again, not a bad problem to have here. Um, what were some other things from the game that, that kind of stuck out to you? Well, we also got a chance to see Quadri Jones for the first time Ever. You know, with some yeah. significant reps. and First uh, time under center besides, like, kneeling. or No, I think he played, like, the last drive for USF, right? I think. I it, he might have just came in and kneeled the ball. But but anyway, he looked okay. I mean, well, I mean he, he, go ahead. he definitely has talent, and he had a great throw. A little bit on – it was a, actually a little bit underthrown to Amari Johnson there. for, But it was a nice touchdown, you know, getting in the game. I can see where Hype likes his style, and he does have talent, but unfortunately, you know, we're just stacked at quarterback, and there's just too many of them. Yeah, and, and you know, all this being said, we still have Mac hopefully coming back at some point. Not a bad problem to have, but, yeah, I could see Quadri transferring, honestly, after this season if he doesn't get any playing time. Nothing against us or him. It's just, you know, stuff happens, and, uh, you know, like you said, we, we got a lot of good quarterbacks. What else? The running game looked awesome. You know, it was cool. To, uh, one thing I noticed is McCray played actually the first couple drives in the game. Everyone got a lot of touches. Obviously, we have a lot of mouths to feed. We use that saying a lot. But it was cool to see everyone run the ball, and everyone did a pretty good job. Yeah, my standout star of the game. That could be a new segment. <laughs> ben Tavies Thompson. You know, we talked about him uh, having a good uh, showing in the spring game. I uh-huh. talked about him uh, being like somebody to watch for this season. He's a big dude, man. Dude, I, he looks like an NFL running yeah. back. He's a monster. Love having him back there. Yeah. Also, McCray looks a little bigger and absolutely love that. It was about a 30-yard, his touchdown run, McCray, where the two FAMU defenders like tried to tackle him from both sides, and they just like fell right off him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then he went right in the end zone. Yeah, so. all the running backs put on like about ten pounds of muscle, and they were already pretty good without this muscle. But I mean, you can't as long as you don't sacrifice speed when you add on the size. It's only a good thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Run game as well. Wimbush, you know, we saw some of the speed and the the strength from Wimbush. There was one scramble he had, where I think he broke like five different tackles. And yeah. it's pretty, it pretty amazing. They're just slipping off him yeah. like a well, slippery butter. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I he looked – I mean, again, another thing, just confirming our beliefs already that he, he's a great runner and he's hard to bring down. Otis Anderson, 
I feel like we used him more in this game than we did like not all of last season because that was more games, but there were some games where we didn't see him much at all besides returning punts, and I think we got him in the mix on the offensive side of the ball a little bit more. And uh, I was really happy to see that because he's he's a good he's a playmaker, and uh, he needs to get you know I think at least eight to ten touches a game. Well, it's obviously because of the pep talk I gave him at the spring game. Oh, yeah, for you know, sure. I told him, I put my hand on his shoulder, and I'm like, dude, you're going to return to 2017 Otis form. <laughs> and he looked at me and just smiled, and he's like, I know, I know. <laughs> I love it, dude. That that definitely has to be the reason. Also, another thing, Alex Harris had his first career touchdown. That's awesome for him. Uh, he, he's a real cool dude, and obviously, I mean, when we've got so many guys that are – um really good on the offensive side of the ball. A lot, of, a lot of players just don't even get opportunities. So it was cool to see him out there. And uh, he had an awesome wide-open touchdown and got, like, the coolest, most epic picture ever with his, like, fist raise in the air. And the camera guy was, like, right in front of him on the ground. He just looks like a giant statue with his arm up. Like, yeah, I just won. <laughs> uh, what else? Any negatives from the game? I know everything was mostly positive, yeah, obviously. I don't, I don't want to use the word negative. I have written down things that need improvement. Okay. Use that. All right. That's a nice constructive. Like, <laughs> a few criticism things that I lingo. saw. Obviously, the Wimbush accuracy definitely needs improvement. I don't, I don't think know you can. I, f- I feel like we can improve on that. But there were, however, about a handful of drop balls by receivers. Yeah. At least two, maybe three, by Wimbush. Uh, pa- two, maybe three, uh, passes by Wimbush that hit receivers right in the hands and can't be having that. No, can't be. That could be a difference between a win and a loss in a big game. So I agree. Um, one thing I noticed too, did we get like two unsportsmanlike penalties? I know there was one on like the D line for doing this. They had like a sack and did this stupid like group photo yep. celebration and thing. And it was all the second and third stringers too. The sack was by Under Armour All-American Tremont Morris Brash. Is that the guy that did like the the announcement during the game? Yeah. All right, all right. I forgive you, dude. We're, but come on, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, those guys are probably definitely suffering in like practice and conditioning like this oh, week. For sure. I feel like hype does not want to put. All up right, that one crap. game, you know, get it out of your system. Again, that's what I said last week, man. Knock the rust off. Get all this stuff out when it really doesn't matter. Um, didn't one of the uh, didn't a receiver like do a little dance after a touchdown too, and we got flagged for that? I don't know if he actually got flagged, but I remember hearing the announcers say, like, oh, he better watch out. Come on. I don't, I'm don't. i not, like, up with the new dances <laughs> or whatever. I don't know. He Dude, did this, he, he like... He did the, the stunt job. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> um, anyway, don't be doing that. Yeah, come on, guys. Like, you're, you're hurting your team. And I know we're up a lot at this point, but, like, that shouldn't even be in your head to do that. You couldn't do it in high school. You definitely couldn't do it in high school. In college, you're a little bit more lenient with, like, the... The teams, you know, they always hold the guy up, like the Lion King and stuff like that. And you put your arm up or do whatever, but no dancing, bro. Come on. And obviously, one other thing, too, is, uh, you know, the Bam Moore injury. I just rewatched that, and it was like, oh, why did this have to happen? Um, I don't know. What what were your, like, initial thoughts, and, and has that changed since? Or? Uh, I don't know. I mean... It was. It's just. It a, is kind of dumb, but it could have happened on any play. Yeah, and you know, Twitter was like all up in an argument. You know, former UCF safety Trey Neal tweeted, "Why is our start? Or why is the start? Why do you still got starters in when you're up 50 points?" I get that, and you know, it could have happened at practice too. I, 
the, the thing that upsets me the most, and we can't really change it, but like the play was over, the whistle was blown, and he kind of let up, you know, and if he hadn't let up, I don't think it would have happened, but again, like you said, it could happen in any play, at any time. You know, honestly, at this point, you can talk about it, argue, starters, whatever all you want. We can't change what happened, so we just got to look forward and, and not really worry about it, I guess is all I can say. It's over. I mean, we do want to wish him a speedy recovery. Do you have any news on the latest for about the, in- the injury? Yeah. Um, apparently, so he was at, Gabe Davis was pushing him around in a wheelchair at, uh, they were at some high school game or something the next, yeah, the next night because the next night was Friday. It was a dislocated knee and torn ACL. So. Gonna be out for the season, like you said. Wish him, wish him a speedy recovery, and um, yeah, what can we say? Next man up. So, probably a really good thing we got that uh, speedster, JUCO transfer, Tay Gowan. Looks like it'll be him and um, Navelle Clark, at the starting cornerback positions, I believe. But who knows? We'll have to see. I know Aaron Robinson had a good game, playing as the nickel, which. I mean, honestly, in almost all defenses now, you have three starting quarterback, cor- three starting cornerbacks. So the nickel is pretty much a starter. I don't see them moving him to one of the technically starting two because there's pretty much start. You pretty much have three anyway. Uh, but we'll just have to see moving forward. I think that's it for this game. Let's talk about some of the other games this week. Our week three opponent, Stanford. Beat Northwestern 17-7. That was an ugly game. I don't think we're going to have any problem with Stanford, honestly. I mean, I know it's just one game. And I, I know, you know, they probably they obviously played a better opponent than we did. But they just didn't look good. It's not like it was like a total defensive scrum the whole game. Yeah. It was just sloppy and ugly. It was 10-7 for the longest time. Yeah, and it was They scored a, like, fumble recovery for a touchdown in, like, the final seconds. And it wasn't one of those, like classic Raven Steelers like defensive showdowns 10-7 it was just like sloppy and they couldn't get anything going so yeah, I very I, unimpressive but they still got the win and I'm really hoping they beat USC this week so that they can be 2-0 and when they face us and we've talked about this before our other competition for game day that week um is I think Iowa and Iowa State Iowa almost lost to like an FCS team. Iowa State. Iowa State almost lost like an FCS team in triple overtime, but they're still in the running, being one and zero. People have short memories, and then obviously Syracuse versus Clemson, week three. That's the big one that they want to go to. College game day has never been to Syracuse, so we need them to lose this week. They play Maryland. We'll talk about that game a little later. Some of our other opponents, though, Pitt, who we play week four, was up 14-13 versus Virginia at halftime, and they didn't score a point in the second half, lost 30-14. to That was to Virginia. And then we all saw at Friday Night Lights, University of South Florida gets absolutely waxed by Wisconsin at, quote-unquote, home, 49-0. Um, dude, they didn't cross midfield. To like five minutes left in the entire game. Yeah. Piss poor. What an embarrassment. Dude, 
Their boosters, everyone, fans on social media, are already calling to fire Charlie Strong. Uh, that's their seventh loss in a row after starting 7-0 and last year. Ah, man, what a great it's so day bad. Not... It is, but at the same time, it's not. Like, we need you, as much as I don't want to say this, we need USF to be good. We do. We just don't want to be great. We need to be good. Right. That's when our rivalry was the best. That would, That's what made the Mike Hughes game I was good. thinking about this earlier. So the 2017 game, the epic classic, one of the best football games I've ever seen in my life, that was the only time we've ever played USF where we've both been good. Like, either we're really bad and they're good, or, yeah. you know, we're really good and they're 4-8. We've and eight. had some close games with them, but, like, the one year in 13 where they almost knocked us out of the conference championship in Fiesta Bowl. They were 3-8. They were 3-8. and 4-7 coming <laughs> we were in. Like, and we were, like, 10-1. and one. You're right. That's the only year. And, you know, it sucks that the uh, American got rid of the divisions now because every year, if we were within one game of each other, that game decides the division. Like, if we had lost that game, we don't play in the conference championship. The Peach Bowl is, like, not even on our minds. So, I agree. It, it is good for them to be good. I don't know what's going on over there. I mean, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so moving on. Uh, yeah. And, obviously, uh, one of the other games, since he beat UCLA 24-14, UCLA is not that good, but... Who knows? You know, it's it's good to watch our future opponents. Uh, they play Ohio State this week. So, you know, if that ends up being close, then, you know, they could be the toughest opponent that we play all season. Uh, What other games happened, Moo? What do you remember watching? Well, definitely saw Memphis beat the powerhouse SEC Ole Miss. It was like 15 to 10, I think. Yeah, it's not a fun game. So I don't understand why we beat Memphis four times. In two years, right? Yep. And everyone uses that as an excuse, like, oh, Memphis, yeah, they oh, suck, whatever. That's a joke. It's like, oh, what were your good wins? And Memphis was always on our list of good wins. It wasn't our best one, but we're like, oh, Memphis, four times, whatever. But and, then they uh, beat Ole Miss, and it's like, well, Memphis, they're a good team. Yeah. I, well, who said that? Feinbaum. Yeah. He's like, oh, they beat a good Memphis team, but this is still not good for the SEC. <sighs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's Terrible. classic media. They're going to spin everything, you know, to fit their agenda. And, um, yeah, that's what they do. Um, Nebraska almost lost to South Alabama. Terrible. There's yeah. no way you're going to cash that over eight wins. Dude, I put <laughs> Nebraska put 300 bucks on it, too. Uh, here's the thing, though. Their next three games are, like, really easy opponents before they start conference play. They should come into conference play 4-0, and then, you know, they just got to go 50-50. So, just a little less confident in that bet than I was before. All right. Anyway, so, yeah, they suck. Um, so, no one in the – the only team – I don't think anyone in the top 25 lost besides the one game between uh, 16 Auburn and 11 Oregon. And, you know, Oregon lost that game to Auburn. They're probably only going to drop them to, like, 16 because they were number 11. Which is dumb. You shouldn't be in the top 25 in the first two weeks if you lose a game. I don't care if you lose to the number one team and you're number two. You can't lose. Like, that makes no sense. Like, what, you get what I'm saying? If you lose, you're out. Like, uh, there's 50 other teams that won a game. And just because you had a good loss, oh, you move them down five? No. 
you got to go down out of the top 25 and climb your way back up by winning every game. How do we even know Auburn's good? They beat a team that's 0-1. There shouldn't be any rankings until, like, week four, really. Yeah, but <laughs> there's nothing we could do. Like, if, if they cancel the AP and the coaches poll, like, someone else will just make their own poll. But I, I agree with you. Um, it's stupid. I think at week four, you should just look at everyone's body of work, take all the undefeated teams, and then start knocking them down, like, if they didn't play anyone. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. that good. They give everyone the benefit of the doubt and work backwards, not the other way around. I don't know. Can't wait for the – normally we would be talking about the rankings right now, but there's a stupid Monday night game this week, Notre Dame and uh, – Oh, so the AP comes out like tomorrow The AP Tuesday comes out morning. Tuesday. Yeah, we're recording now on a Monday. Right. So, yeah. All right. Week two matchups to look forward to. We got number one Clemson against number 12 Texas A&M. Don't think A&M has a chance, so but A&M, whatever. A&M will move up probably. Got T- another top 10 matchup, LSU against Texas. And this, then, of course, the big one, us versus FAU. Yeah. Um, as you guys have all seen, the line opened up at, at the the dumb offshore line. The, the first line is always off. I, this surprises people every week. There's some dumb European sports book that like comes up. They just want to be the first, and they come up with the line. They probably don't even take that many bets on it. And then the real ones are like when the Westgate and Vegas – or Bovada, or Five Dimes, or one of the big sites comes out with it. Start at minus nine. I hammered that. It's already up to ten now, and it's probably going to keep moving. Moo, any explanation as to why it opened up so low? I mean, we beat them by 20 last year, and they scored five touchdowns among two players, and both of those players left, and one of them is Devin Singletary, arguably one of the best running backs in all college last year. So I have my own theory of why it's so low. So I think the final score for FAU Ohio State was very misleading. Ohio State won forty five twenty one. So F- the spread was minus twenty eight. Ohio State got up twenty eight to nothing, and then they really took their foot off the gas. The first seven drives for FAU they had negative twelve yards total. So they moved backwards <laughs> in seven drives. The first seven drives for Ohio State, they had 200 yards, so it was 28 to nothing. They really took their foot off the gas. The score is misleading, giving false value in the power rankings to FAU. Interesting. So you're saying they should have got docked for getting blown out and said they almost got rewarded by not getting blown out that much to a top-ranked team. Covering the spread, they actually went up two points in the power oh, rankings. Oh, they did cover the yeah. spread? Oh, that's crappy if you bet on Ohio State. Spread was 28, and they won by 24. They lost by 24. So it was 28-0 at halftime, and if you had— No, it was 28-0 with six minutes left in the first quarter. And if you had Ohio State minus 28, you're like, dude, cash my ticket, like, right now. And then all of a sudden, bah. Exactly. Well, hey, that sounds like it worked out good for us. If you haven't hopped on that line yet, go ahead and do it. It's— uh. It's up to minus 10, and it's probably going to, by the time this comes out, it'll probably be at 10.5 or 11. So. Right. This is also a de facto home game for UCF. I mean, I know FAU is trying to pump up the crowd and everybody. The but student section should be filled, but like they don't have that big of an alumni base. And I looked at some of their average attended games last year. They get like between ten and 14,000. Yeah, but I mean, this is obviously a marquee opponent, which should help with home attendance, but also away, too. I think this game will be at least 50-50. 
I mean, I know so oh, many people sure. going, I, I'm a FAU season ticket holder. I bought a block of 12 of them. <laughs> hopefully, the one other thing we got to talk about, hopefully this hurricane, the outer bands right now are just starting to brush up on Florida. Hopefully this thing doesn't do any major damage. Um, it's just moving so slow. We really need it to curve north. If you live on the East Coast and you're listening to this podcast right now, you survived, so congrats. But yeah, hopefully this doesn't affect anything. I do not want to lose another game to a hurricane. I know we said we talked about it last week. I'm really looking forward to this de facto home game, like you said. Hopefully the thing just curves north and obviously, you know, thoughts and prayers to everyone in the Bahamas as well. That just stinks, man. That thing just sat on top of them for like three days. Uh, so hopefully everyone's all right. I'm sure if you want to donate to help out, there'll be a lot of GoFundMes and uh, good stuff like that because, you know, a lot of people over there probably lost everything. And, uh, you know, it's, that's really terrible. It's obviously way, way bigger than football and everything. So, uh, but, yeah, at the same time, I still don't want our game to be canceled. I mean, I can feel both. So, all right. So that being said, let's dive into the quarterback battle uh, a little bit more. We've got... Anthony Squints Lenahan. I gotta find out where that nickname comes from. He's gonna hop on and talk a little bit about what he saw. Obviously, he's an analyst uh, for Pro Football Focus, and he charted charts every single play. He actually sent me a spreadsheet, and it's got, dude, not just like personnel. It's like who motioned, what direction, how many yards was the receiver when the target got to him. Not just like total yards on the play. Like how deep was the target? Um, what hash mark? Dude, like every little thing, every personnel. Uh, anyway, very, very detailed. I wonder how many times he has to watch a game to like get all this. So info. he told me he said when I watch a game, I'm really focusing on like one, the maybe two things. I'm like, the okay, ball. the ball. But sometimes I like, I if you know if we're on defense, I like to yeah. watch you know where the linebackers like their first move. Or, yeah. You know, he, uh, so that'd be pretty interesting. Yeah, who maybe it was, you could ask him. He yeah he had who it was targeted to. He has um. Just everything. Like, was it high? Was it low? Was it, like, dropped? So, like, so he'll dock a, a quarterback for a bad pass that happened to get caught. Like, if it was way behind him and the guy made a good catch, that's not a positive play for the quarterback. Uh, but, yeah, we'll talk to him about all that uh, in this interview. So, let's do it. All right, so I'm here with Anthony Squints Lenahan, our most frequent, I guess, guest on the show. And, uh, analytics guru i guess how you doing dude doing good how about yourself i'm awesome man Thank, thanks so much for coming back on the show it's uh it's ni- nice to have you back it's nice that football's going on hey it's nice to have somebody that actually likes to listen to me around <laughs> dude every everyone listens to you man we got a lot of good feedback from you throughout the year so uh let's just jump into the you know the one thing everyone's kind of talking about the quarterbacks uh what did you think what did you see from this first game yeah i mean a lot of people like coming into the year, not a lot of people knew what to expect, especially with Gabriel uh, coming in as a true freshman. I mean, everybody obviously knows the numbers he broke in Hawaii and all his stats in high school, but the game is just completely different in college. And with all practices being closed, then the spring game being like, I guess, I mean, I wasn't there in person, so I didn't get to see anything. I saw like maybe one highlight pass, but so it's kind of impossible to tell what to expect from him. And then, Wimbush, uh, I mean, a lot of people knew about his accuracy problems at Notre Dame. And a lot of people were into the conclusion that, you know, Hypo is going to be able to fix them and stuff like that. And 
the receiver, I heard something like the receivers, you know, they were ran a lot of bad routes. They didn't give a lot of effort. I mean, stuff like that. So, but for like a 13 and three team, uh, he was 13 and three as a starter. Uh, they went undefeated into the playoffs last year. I mean, you have to have a hard time telling me that his receivers didn't know what they were doing and that his <laughs> teammates weren't trying. So right. it wasn't going to bite into that. So, I mean, I charted every single pass that he threw at Notre Dame. And so I kind of knew what to expect. Uh, a lot of people will look at his highlight tapes and say, oh, this guy's got a big arm, blah, blah, blah. So his first game at UCF pretty much went exactly how I thought it would. Uh, his deep passing was not very good. Uh, he was. I had him as one for six in terms of accuracy. The one being the touchdown to uh, Gabe Davis, which uh-huh. I don't even – I don't know if that's a better defense. I don't know what happens there. It kind of floated in the air a little bit, but yeah, it was still a decent throw. Nice catch. Uh, uh, FAMU's defenders and corners and safeties trying to cover Gabe Davis. Just It's not really fair. He's going to be a very good NFL receiver. Yeah, it was like they were playing a, you know, like when the, the JV team, the defense, plays against the varsity in, in high school. That's yep. kind of what it looked like. Or probably almost like scout team versus right. real right. team. Um, so yeah, I had all six of his deep balls coming at, uh, he threw them all over 30 yards. I pretty much look at a deep ball as a 20 plus 21 plus. Okay. This is traveling in the air. Like not well, yards like after a catch. five yard. Yeah. No, like a five yard pass that goes six right. yards for touchdown. We, we talked, we talked about that earlier, the, the depth of target. He had all day to make these throws. His the the O line, the pass blocking was tremendous. I mean, I didn't really look at uh the run game too much and how the run blocking was, so I can't really comment on that. But the amount of time and the lanes that these quarterbacks had to throw was crazy. So on his six deep passes, his average release time, this is from snap to release, was three point four three seconds, which is so long. <laughs> extremely high. I mean the common thresholds around two and a half, like what what you're gonna get, right? With two point seven five being like the max. So I mean, when you're playing better D lines, he's not getting all day to throw, and that also comes with you're not throwing the ball 30, 40 yards downfield against better teams just simply because of you don't have the time. You're not gonna get that long to throw. Yeah. So with all day to throw, and he still missed five guys. I, I had every single person as open. Actually, four four of the six were open receivers. Four of the five incompletions were open receivers, and mm-hmm. they weren't really close to not being open. Uh, that one pass to Jacob Harris was like running a route on air. He was there's nobody anywhere close to him, so that kind of went exactly as expected. So I tweeted out something about EPA, which is expected points added. Uh-huh. It's kind of, in my opinion, probably the most efficient way to measure performance and like plays. So a common graph is like completion percentage is obviously for depth of target is obviously greater at like the line of scrimmage to like 10 yards, like shorter passes. It's up around like 60%. Right. The longer you throw it, the less likely it is to be caught just in general. Yep. But the, the EPA for those passes is a lot lower. Right. Simply because then you have to rely on yards after the catch. Exactly. Wimbush is from, every pass he threw in college was the exact opposite. His EPA was a lot higher for shorter passes. And then when he got to the longer passes, I think anything past 20 yards in the air, it 
he got to the negatives at some point, which is just, it's just crazy because if you look at a, a pass that travels 30 yards, the EPA on that is going to be extremely high. So if you're completing, see, even if he completed two of those passes, I know the difference between one and two is not a lot, but if you're looking at a percentage wise, if you're at 35, 30, 30 to 35% on those passes, it's a lot different than one out of six, which is what, like 18%. What's the average on a, a long pass? Like, what, uh, what's the average completion the average. percentage? I charted all of UCF's as well. So, like, nice. pretty much Millen and Mac last year. So, their completion percentage at 21 to 25 yards was about 65%, which is extremely crazy. 30 yards plus, it, was, it got to, like, 40. It stayed consistent uh, on greater than 30-yard passes at about 40%, which is still really high. So you figure they should be at least around, you know, one in three or something like that. Yeah, that's that's what I would say. 30% is still really good. And and he was half that, and that's not even including the fact that these guys were, like, literally wide open. So that could have made up for, you know, a little bit of inaccuracy. Yep, and so his passes, 25 to 30 yards last year uh, for his career was at an EPA of negative 0.5, which is not good. Insane. And EPA EPA for people listening is expected points added, right? Yeah, so it takes into account like pretty much everything, time, score, down and distance, and field position. So your EPA at the start of a play on first and 10 from your own 20 is – it, there's a crazy graph. It's it's extremely like analytical. Right. I don't exactly know how it's calculated, but it's this formula, a crazy but, thing. But, the, but there's something out there, and generally, the further you throw the ball, the more EPA you should the higher EPA you should have for mm-hmm. longer passes. Just yep. Yeah, that that would make sense. That's the biggest thing I took away. Like it went exactly as expected because obviously I didn't calculate EPA yet for these games. Right. For this game. So, but one out of six, your one is going to be, uh, that was a touchdown. So it was probably, it was probably around from the 30. It was probably around like a 3.5. But all those incompletions are like negative 1.1s. So you're going to like negative five there. Right. You're still at a negative for those. But if you complete two of them, you're in the positives by a lot. Yeah. So yeah. Pr- pretty much Wimbush went. As you expected, um, it's wow. It's crazy how um, analytics are actually like right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sucks because it's like I don't want to root against them, obviously, because like no, I, me, I want me either. Play. Yeah, but like I, I like when stuff I do comes out to be true. Yeah, and yeah. that was that's kind of been the case, and that's why we like having you on. Uh, so t- branching off of that, let's talk about Dylan Gabriel a little bit. Um, you know, we really like you said before, we didn't have much tape on him obviously because the practices are closed the scrimmages are closed um what what did you see from him that you liked yeah I mean he kind of he looked very poised uh just initially like he didn't look like it was his first college game I know the competition wasn't terrific and he came in with the a big lead and and he got great field position to start some of his drives especially the first one but that first touchdown pass to Otis, his kind of first real throw was it was a phenomenal throw, great catch. It was beautiful. It was right in my my tickets are in the end zone, right there in the front row, and that was just like the the perfect way to like get my first uh, I guess first taste of DG there, like seeing that happen right in front of me. It was beautiful ball. Otis caught it right there in the corner of the end zone, and that was awesome. 
Yeah, it was a great throw. I, and I, I, if you follow me on Twitter, you know how much I like Otis. So I yeah. was kind of happy that it came from there to those two connected there. I was nice. So, it was nice to see him out there. Uh, I th- feel like he got more playing time compared to like his average or I, th- I feel like he got more touches, I guess, compared to like his average um, from last year, at least in this one game, which is small sample size. But I think we were trying to get him the ball more. What, what did you think? Yeah, I think I actually the announcers were saying I don't know if you rewatched the game with the announcers, I but did, they yeah. said that that UCF was keeping a uh, touch chart for him, which is great because his EPA on his touches is ridiculous. Yeah, it's definitely. I I kind of had the feeling coming into this year. I was like, dude, if we don't like use this guy, I feel like he might want to transfer to like Nebraska or something like that. Honestly, because it's it's almost a waste to have someone that good on your team and and not trying to get him the ball you know, eight to ten times a game. Yeah, I even think you should have the ball a lot more than that, but that's just my opinion. Um, <laughs> I would use him as a running back a lot more, uh, kind of like split him out out of a run, like from, like, it kind of seems to me like his drives are either he's a wide receiver for this drive or he's a running back for this drive. It's never like he's used as a utility guy. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Well, and I think, you know, that's the thing. You put him in there and – use him as 21 personnel get the defense trying to defend that and then actually use him as a receiver and then all already automatically you kind of have a a mismatch right yeah make make the defense decide whether they want to bring in an extra uh a nickel corner or maybe an extra safety or bring in an extra linebacker to help defend the run yep make them choose between one instead of kind of but we also we don't know what's going to happen the rest of the year i don't think ucf was really gonna show much show their hand exactly um so back back to uh dylan what about some of his other throws uh did he he do better than you thought or or what did you see he played pretty good he i charted he threw five deep balls all 22 yards and farther in the air completed two of them uh he had that one throw out of uh, that davis call out of bounds kind of i think if he threw it a little bit earlier it would have been a touchdown uh-huh. But uh, something that you could learn from. It was a, it was still a really good throw, just a little late. Then he had one pass to Gabe that was a pass interference in the end zone, which positive play. Uh, right. That's 15 yards. And then he had two completions. The Obviously, the pass to Otis, I had traveling 27 yards in the air. I count end zone yards. He had that other touchdown pass to Alex Harris, who seemed to be open a couple times too. Yeah. Uh, him and Him and Jacob Harris. They, they look pretty good out there. And then he had that one pass to Marlon Williams that it looked like he threw a little behind. He was wide open, yep. uh, kind of out the seam. And Nothing he, crazy. He did miss a couple, though, right? Yeah, he missed that one to Marlon. He was, like, wide open? Yeah. He had a drop by Johnson. This is in the third quarter when he got that uh, this, the drive right before Bam got hurt because I think people got a little worried after that. Um, he had that slant to Johnson, which you dropped on third down. I had that at 19 yards. Well, I had actually post actually. And then he had a pass to a mod, a slant that he just missed him. He threw it behind. It was not a good throw, but mm-hmm. it wasn't high or low. He didn't throw it in traffic. It was a good decision. He just made a bad throw. It's going to happen. Yep. I had him as facing zone. His, the whole third quarter, he, was faced, he uh, threw against zone coverage, uh, two against man, actually, but it's going to be a little bit harder probably to throw against zone cover. Uh, nah, maybe not, but 
So what what are you thinking going forward? Um, you know, do you think we're going to kind of see the same thing with these, you know, two guys rotating drives against FAU or uh, what, what do you think? Yeah, I think Heupel came out and said yesterday that he was going to use both. Uh, if he does, if it, I hope he uses DG a lot more because saying he earned the right to play is pretty obvious, but I think like he deserves the right to like have an even share and like actually make it a competition. Like if you don't think it's competition still, then Wimbush should be getting all the snaps, especially ahead of the uh, Stanford game. Exactly. Exactly. So if you're going to, if you're going to make it an even competition right now and kind of keep it open like that, how everybody's interpreting it, you have to let them both get an even shot. And if one, if Wimbush comes out and plays unbelievable in the first drive, and he had some really good games at Notre Dame where you're like, wow, this guy's good. So it's not like if Wimbush has a really good game, I wouldn't be surprised at all. But it's not like let's overreact to like he's fixed and everything because he was very inconsistent at Notre Dame. But if he if he comes out and plays really well his first couple of drives, I think you got to just stick with them. Maybe maybe let him get up and then put in DG. But it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, and you know, like you said before, I, I definitely think you know we we're just running a very very vanilla offense. Like why why give anyone any kind of tape on what we're gonna do this year when this game literally was a scrimmage? Yeah, it was probably even it was probably worse than their scrimmages that they have against each other. To be honest. <laughs> But uh, one other thing that I, I kind of looked at is I charted uh, release times, and they threw eight now screens, which I pretty much call them. Just you'll see when most time they had stacked receivers, and they would just throw snap, pass, like right, right. to the receiver. So I looked at the release times. Wimbush threw five of them. His average release time on those was he had one at two seven nine four. He had one at two oh seven two. And then the other two were just over one five. So his average release time was one eight eight on those. Uh-huh. If you look at DG's three that he threw, his average release time was there was all one five and below. His average release time was one four four. Like that's a those, huge difference. Those four tenths of a second is really big. Yeah, because that's just because those are just extended running plays pretty much. You're just looking to try to get the ball in the guy's hand. Exactly. So yeah. the longer it takes, the more time the defense has to react and make a move on him. Yep. I mean that's it's little stuff, but I I kind of look at that. It's also pretty. Uh, DG looks like he has a little zip on the ball too. Like he was getting it to receivers pretty quickly. I don't have any data to back that up, but right, that's just, just my just a visual observation. Uh, yeah, interesting. Well, it'll definitely be interesting to see what happens this week against uh, against FAU. Going back to the uh, to the BAM thing, what are your thoughts? You know, we kind of talked about this earlier on the show, like. You know, it's it's in the past. We can't change what happened, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna talk about it a little bit and then just let it go. But what are your thoughts on him being in the game when we're when we're up that much? Yeah, obviously everybody's gonna look at it now like it shouldn't have happened. I mean, it probably shouldn't have happened, but I think people said that they they were on us. They wanted to get him snaps, which. I completely agree with like you got you want to let guys get game reps. Yeah, that's the thing, and it, it could have happened in practice. It could have happened, you know, at at any time. So I think faulting I think, the coaches for that is a little bit of an overreaction. I think the thing that really sucks about it is that it happened on a dead ball, like yeah, and nobody just couldn't hear the whistle. Like he probably knew it was incomplete too, and he kind of just like 
didn't hear the whistle and wanted to try and sell it or whatever. And, or whatever. And I, then the court, the quarterback was the one who tackled them. It's just like everything that could go wrong went wrong. It sucks for the guys on the team because that's happened now twice to them in the last four games. It's like it's got to take a mental toll at some point. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it makes you, um, you know, you kind of look at that stuff happening and be like, that could be me, you know. You saw how upset Gabe was. Yeah. Because how close some of these guys are with each other. I mean, now they're on their like third year together and they went to high school together. So it's a little bit past that. But these guys have been teammates for a while now and they've seen nothing but success and they know how good each other are like and how much these guys mean to the team. Like Brandon Moore and Navelle Clark together in the secondary with Richie Grant and uh, Antoine Collier look really good too. Like that's, that's a really good secondary. So it sucks to be able to play man to man with, kind of just go seven in the box and let uh let those guys do their thing let those guys go one-on-one and you're gonna win more often than not yeah and, and that's one of the things going into this year that we've talked about it's like i mean obviously besides the, the question mark at quarterback even if you know regardless if if we had mac back in or whoever it doesn't matter i think on paper like this is probably one of the best teams ucf has ever had ever. on both sides of the ball um so an injury like that really, really stinks. But, you know, next man up, I guess. Yeah, I mean, back to what you just said, like, whoever's quarterback for UCF this year, it doesn't really matter. They're going to win 10, 10, 11 games no matter what, in my opinion. So you, just took, because you took the over nine, right? <laughs> just because they're, like, that much better than, uh, like, the teams in AAC. Like, I know Cincinnati look good, Memphis look good, but – I still think UCF's a lot like their skill players and their line is just a lot more talented. And the difference for me with quarterback plays like the ceiling, I think they have a better chance of winning per se a game. They're not supposed to, they have a higher ceiling with Gabriel at quarterback or Mac when he comes back than Wimbush, just because you can't afford a one for six on deep balls where you could have had, two or three extra touchdowns there against a Stanford per se where exactly those plays could have could have been you know they could have changed games yeah where where the plays mean a little bit more Ah, well a lot more because (laughs) I didn't any incompletion here didn't really uh matter exactly you would think I don't know I we could you could talk about it all day you would think it'd almost be easier because there's like no pressure but it stinks yeah. to see him miss that yeah, many miss wide that open many guys. Wide. Uh, but you you did mention some of the other teams in the conference. What did you, think, did you about think about some of our, uh, you know, I guess our possible uh, conference championship foes in Houston and, and Memphis watching their first games uh, this weekend? Uh, I actually didn't get to watch much of the Memphis game. I'll probably go back and rewatch it. I want to try and chart a lot of teams in the conference every game. So we'll see how that goes. But they'll definitely be one of the teams that I do most of the games and I'll go back and do them and who played Thursday night, uh, Cincinnati. I'll probably do them first because just cause they looked good and played actual decent teams. Yeah. But they only scored what 15 points, which is surprising, but it's not surprising. They almost Norvell almost blew another second half double digit lead, which is not surprising at all. <laughs> uh, but Brady white, I don't think his numbers are very good. I know Coxie didn't have a lot of yards. Who's a really good receiver. So I don't trust Brady white at all. Uh, Patrick Taylor. I mean, a lot of people know that they lost Pollard and Henderson, but 
Patrick Taylor is he's a stud too. Yeah. He's yeah. right up there with those guys. So I don't expect much to get uh go away from their running game. Uh in terms of Cincinnati, I think Ritter looked good. UCLA was running like in the beginning of the game, at least I was watching it before I put on the UCF game. Uh, Ritter was UCLA was running a bunch of just cover zero straight up to try and stop Warren and stack the box, which Mm -hmm. if you look at Ritter's numbers last year, he couldn't complete it past, past 20 yards. And he was just, he threw some nice deep balls down the field. And if he, if he becomes a good downfield passer, I think it's going to open up their offense a lot, which could be dangerous, but I just, I really don't see too many teams competing. I think Houston's probably my biggest concern just because Derek King's so good. Because of King, yeah. He's one of those guys that it almost doesn't matter who you have on the other side of the ball. And he definitely, from what I only saw parts of the Oklahoma game, he showed some flashes of absolute brilliance, which, you know, like we've we've talked about in the past, is almost expected from him. Uh, Yeah, and it was his first game back in since he tore his ACL, which he didn't look like he was missing too much there. So he looked fine squirming around. It, the looked, it was stuff. great to see him back because he's one of the most exciting players in the game. And they have a receiver, Marquez Stevenson, who's tremendous too. So those two get on the same page. It's scary, but their defense is just so bad that <laughs> it's hard to win games like that. It, you just, it's almost like you got to score a touchdown on every possession. That's exact. I mean, it pretty much was. I think Jalen Hurts had like a fumble, or they might have had two fumbles that might have been the only two possessions they stopped them, I think. But it was ridiculous. Hurts was like 20 for 23, had like 20 carries for like 150 yards and three touchdowns. It was... Yeah, he, he looks good. He's uh, He shot up to 5-1 to one on the Heisman, and I'm thinking about throwing a couple bucks on him just because, yeah. I mean, one – Obviously, Lincoln Lincoln Riley is a genius. Like, yeah, some, I, some of those plays they ran were incredible. Um, you know, the one where they did the uh, it was like a, a play action. They had everyone rolling out to the right, the lineman pulling, and then you know Hertz tucks it and then pulls up at the last second and and then throws it throws a guy in the post, I think, or something like that. Yeah, um, I think it was a deep cross or something. But I know what play you're talking about. Yeah, it, he looked good and. You know, that that's the thing, too, is, well, one, uh, Hertz is in a good situation, I guess, to possibly win the Heisman. Uh, I think he's Lincoln Riley will bring the best out of him. But but um, but two, that – fuck, I forgot what I was going to say. Um, the defense in the Big 12 are just so bad that he's going to put up those numbers it, every week. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Exactly. I mean, he's, he's good for five touchdowns at least probably every week. So just on sheer volume, I think he's a, he's a decent pick at – at five to one, um, Lincoln Riley, on the other hand, I mean, how long do you think he ends up staying in Oklahoma? Cause he can get a big, big offer from an NFL team. That's looking, you know, for the next Sean McVay type thing. I'm sure he actually had some this off season. And then here you go. This is going to be Scott Frost round two, because I don't see any way Hypo wouldn't leave for Oklahoma. If that job was open, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, in terms of Lincoln Riley, from what he said, he like really wants to stay in the college game. Uh, I think a lot of what might happen with him in the NFL might rely on Kings, what, how Kingsbury does in the NFL. True. Because a lot of teams, you know, if they see that kind of offense, can't really succeed in the NFL, which I think, I think the Cardinals offense is going to be just fine. I yeah. just, I don't think they have a defense, which is going to hurt them and why they might lose a lot of games. But I think, 
Kyler Murray and that offense, they're going to put up a ton of yards and a ton of points. So I think the offense will translate well, but I think if it doesn't, it could hurt Lincoln Riley if he does want to make that jump. But Lincoln Riley is just so far ahead of everybody else. It's ridiculous. Uh, Another play that he ran was like, it was a RPO with a bubble screen and Jalen hurt. They ran a counter. So two, a super counter, two linemen on the right pulled to the left to cover for the run if they ran it. Uh-huh. And then they had the bubble screen. Hurd saw the bubble screen wasn't open, and then he had the two pulling linemen and the running back as three lead blockers, and he basically ran a quarterback counter. And I saw that it was play just too, yeah. Like, the, the stuff that he comes up with, you just don't see a lot of other places. It's He's above everybody else. But in terms of hypo, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to tell really with coaching changes uh, you just can't really expect anything I mean he didn't leave off on the best of terms with Oklahoma I guess you could say so it's a little I would say it's a little different than Frost but very true because he coached there before Frost never coached at Nebraska unless he was like a GA or something I don't really remember yeah I don't think he has but I also I don't think we've seen really much about Heupel as a coach to really get a good read on how good of a coach he is yeah, but I feel like everyone's kind of always looking for, like, the next up-and-coming G5 coach, and Heupel's automatically going to get thrown in that conversation. I, I don't remember oh, yeah. I don't remember what game it was, but it was some kind of blowout, and they threw up some graphic on the screen, and they showed, you know, top G5 coaches or something. Because everyone knows that's where the P5 schools are looking, and obviously Heupel was number one. Luckily for us, though, this year, I don't think there's many – decent p5 programs with coaches really on the hot seat um what do you what do you think yeah i don't know uh the way the sec looked last week there could be a lot of openings That's true. there but <laughs> but are they good jobs to take That's i mean a- i get tennessee's a good job but i also don't think I th- who's their coach pruitt yeah. i don't think they're gonna fire him year two so you can't yeah yeah well, but, no, he's, he's is he in his is it year two or year one I think it's year two. I think last yeah. year was his first year. I remember the whole Greg Schiano thing or whatever. I don't remember yeah. when that was. But, yeah, I agree. That's the thing. He's not going to leave but, for, like, Ole Miss or something like that. But if one of those top-tier programs opens up, like Tennessee, I guess maybe USC could be one. Yeah, uh, but, USC is probably going to open up in midseason. Urban Meyer. Especially <laughs> with uh, who who's their quarterback. Uh, not Jaden Daniels. That's Arizona State. Uh, something – Whatever their quarterback is out for the year now, and they're they're really going to be they're screwed, probably yeah. yeah they play Stanford next this week, which Costello might be out too, so that might be an ugly game. I guess we need Stanford to win, but we do yeah. If Costello's hurt and he misses the UCF game, it's not going to really do UCF too many favors. Nope, and and that's a game that I think we should win pretty easily anyway. Uh. Last couple things, looking forward at the schedule now that we've seen. I know it's just one week, small sample size, but what do you think is going to be our hardest game coming up? I mean, Stanford is the easy answer, but I don't know if that's going to be that hard of a game. I didn't watch them play Northwestern, but it was it, just... was, it was ugly, man. It wasn't uh, – It wasn't. we talked about this earlier. It wasn't one of those games where it's like, oh, the defenses are really good. It was just sloppy, and that's yeah. why the score was low. I don't really believe you could win playing the style of football that David Shaw runs. Right. So that's big reason on them. But on the road at Pitt, 
they didn't look too good either. They lost. They got shut out in the second half against Virginia. That was at terrible, home, so. man. I thought they could have pulled that out and maybe snuck into the top twenty-five. Uh, but, you know, by the time we play in week four. Yeah, anytime you go on the road is difficult. Uh, the two games I'm really looking at are the Cincinnati game and then the Houston game. Right. Two other obvious answers. Especially on the road at Cincy. Yeah, on a Friday night, that should be a fun atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, all right, well, dude, uh, thanks so much for joining the show. Do you have anything else you want to add after this first week? Uh, not really. I mean, I didn't really look too much into this game. Obviously, as I've said a lot, it it was kind of a – we've said it was a, like, glorious scrimmage, I guess, that right. gives you a win. So I don't really care too much about it. I just want to look at the QB numbers. Yep, and I think they kind of spoke for themselves. It, like we said before, it's exactly what we thought was going to happen. So it would be interesting watching this game against, obviously, some better talent versus FAU. And uh, is it going to be the same thing? Is Wimbush going to ball out, possibly? Uh, you know, a, lot of, a lot of questions to be answered, but uh, I'm looking forward to this game Friday for sure. Yeah, we just have to hope that uh, the hurricane kind of stays away. I think, Hopefully. I think we're good. I think hopefully every hopefully you guys down there you guys stay safe. I'm fine. I'm on the west coast, but I think it's finally like tracking north. Apparently, it's only moving one mile an hour, which is insane. That's yeah, li- that's literally crazy. like a bear crawl, not going fast. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but I'm, uh, I'm very far away, so I'm happy. <laughs> um, are you planning on going to any of the games uh, coming up? Yeah, I'm coming down for the. I'm actually coming down. A week from Thursday, I'll be at the Stanford game. Nice. Dude, awesome, man. Let's uh, definitely grab a beer together. Yeah, so if anybody has any Cabana tickets, I'll be uh, looking for one of those. <laughs> maybe a couple. So, yeah, if anyone has Cabana tickets, uh, hit them up on Twitter, at squints underscore 15. Uh, Anthony, thanks so much for joining us, man. It's always a pleasure, and I uh, really, really enjoy everything you do with charting all the games and stuff like that. It's uh, great to get a perspective from someone that really, really knows more than pretty much everyone else, uh, especially all these idiot AP voters. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. All my numbers could be made up, though, for you, for uh, anyone's knowledge. <laughs> yeah, I guess we wouldn't dispute it, but the thing is, is you've uh, kind of proven that you've been right uh, over the last year and a half or so, so the work speaks for itself. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks so much, man. Take care. Take it easy. All right. That was an awesome interview. Definitely got a lot more clarity about the quarterback position. Again, kind of everything we expected, but it's good to hear it from someone that really has a high football IQ, not just two kind of bozos that like to watch the game. Exactly. <laughs> Great follow on Twitter, by the way. His handle is at squints underscore. 15 so squints underscore one five yeah follow him he's always tweeting out like analytical stuff even through the offseason he like watched a bunch of Notre Dame tape I think he watched every throw by Wimbush like uh, (laughs) stuff that normal people don't have time to do yeah well when it's your job but he's got some cool facts little tidbits you know just study up on a couple and you impress people at tailgate. Like, yeah. Make them think you actually know something about it. I mean, everything he said when I like, I, I, I hop on that bandwagon, whether it's like, oh, we should use this running back or this formation. It's always proven to be true. And that makes me look smarter. So, uh, yeah, definitely a, a good guy to follow and has some great information. That being said, too, he's going to be writing some articles for us, which I completely forgot to mention. Our new website is launched. It's one night Check it out. Got a couple articles out there. Also, you can, uh, it's got links to listen on Spotify, Stitcher, 
iHeartRadio, every one of those. That should have been like the headline. Th- of the I know, show. I know. Uh, just too much stuff going <laughs> on, man. There's actual football. It's tough to remember stuff like websites uh-huh. that are kind of like in- inconsequential. But uh, yeah, check it out. One night stand, UCF.com. All right. It's time. What was that again? One night stand, UCF.com. All right. One night stand, UCF.com. No spaces for. All you internet. Is it the number one? No, it's the no, it's the the words. It's all words. Okay, all yeah. words. The only reason it's the number one in the Twitter handle is because it's the only way I could fit it. Because one night stand was taken, so I had to do one night stand UCF, and yeah. But anyway, that was confusing. One night stand was taken. Hmm. It's taken for a lot of stuff, even with the K. There's a, actually there's some other podcast that's called One Night Stand. So, the site can't be reached. Okay, anyway, <laughs> now it's time for our favorite segment, Money Moves Picks of the Week. All right, guys, two and one last week. Not a bad start to the season. Nope. So we'll, we'll take it. <laughs> our two winners were Houston. Uh, I think we had plus 24 and a half. Just barely covered, but we'll take it. And then Tulane minus two. They won by like, 30-something. <laughs> that was so free. Yeah, that it was, was free awesome. Free. Uh, the one loss on the week, Army, who I said to take minus 23 and a half against Rice, and they won by seven. What happened with that? I don't know. Rice? Just Rice? I, I was know. at dinner, so I rice didn't to, That was the only game that I bet on I didn't watch. And uh, Oh, well. I don't know what happened. Can't win them all. Nothing's 100% in sports betting. Like you said last week, you just want to be over 60%, something like that. Just right. around 60%. That's what the pros are. If I can do what I did last year again, that would be amazing. Yeah. All right. So the picks. It. We got three this week. The first pick, pretty obvious. But this is my number one pick of the week, number one pick of the month, Possibly the number one pick of the year, the freest of free. Wow, money moves pick is UCF minus nine and a half. Now I know a lot of you are saying that moo, it's already minus ten. Just to keep this, uh, just to keep some continuity with with everything, keep it on a level playing field. I always give give out my picks with the line that I bet bet them at. You know, it fluctuates from time to time and, you know, whether or not you are getting a better line number than me or a worse one, I usually just keep an even playing field or whatever I actually bet it at. That's what I give it to you. So UCF minus nine and a half. I already talked about the reason for the false value of FAU. But what I think I didn't talk about is the undervalue of UCF. Oh. So a 62 to nothing win against an FCS school might not sound impressive. However, you look at some of the better teams this week that lost <laughs> to FCS schools straight up. Yeah. Uh Tennessee, that other one. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I think Tennessee was the only one. No, but... uh someone lost to like Montana or something. Hold on. All right, we'll edit it back in. No, someone lost to Nevada. Their FBS. Oh well, I mean it was a D one or a P five. I don't know. All I right, so there's so there's definitely FCS teams that won against Division one teams. There is a lot of scares as well. I mean, South Alabama hanging tough with Nebraska. You had Northern Iowa 
going to triple overtime against a top 25 Iowa State team. You know, these games aren't gimmies anymore. The FCS schools, you know, for the most part, they have a lot of talent too, and they're coming in now with a chip on their shoulder thinking they can actually win these games. Yeah, they came to play. Instead I mean, of just being a cupcake. So, anyway, I don't look at our game last week. I was like, oh, 62 to nothing. They just came in and, like, laid down for us. You know, we looked pretty damn solid. We did. We did what we should have. And a lot of schools, like you said, did not do that. And these games that are supposed to be warm-up games are supposed to be like scrimmages. Exactly. And the bookmakers in college football, on average, will give an automatic three-and-a-half point home field advantage. home field advantage to the home team. What they don't know is how much UCF Night Nation travels, especially in South Florida. So for FAU, instead of having a three and a half point advantage, I'm giving them a zero. I would say because it's going to be about 50. This is like a neutral site game. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so my personal line is about 17 and a half. I think that UCF win by around 17 and a half. That's my average. That's what should happen. Now, I think we're going to win by 21-24, which would be an easy cover on 9.5. I'm telling you, you're not going to have many more opportunities this year to to grab a line yep. that has this much value. Because when we beat this 10 or whatever you want to call it spread by like 20-something points, they're going to get over it. They're going to get adjusted the next week. Right. And the next week, Stanford, too. And I think we're at least a touchdown favorite. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. But right, uh, yeah. There's I no more easy gimmies. Like what was one last year that was just so stupid easy? I, I think UConn was only 17 yeah. or something like yeah. that. Uh, were uh, those times where you could just unload? And we we beat them by like 40. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not gonna happen much much more times this year. So anyway. Yep, that's it. UCF. Pick of the week, pick of the month. Pick of the century. Pick of the century. Pick of the millennium. Minus nine and a half. But it only happens if you use promo code UCF Problems to buy your FAU ticket, go there, and really make it a home field advantage. You can at least, you can affect them by like a half point or something like that by showing up and yelling. I'll be loud the whole game. Better see you there. Uh, We're tailgating too. We're going to set up a big thing. So huge parking lot. We'll figure it out ahead of time get there early let everyone know we just want to get all UCF people in this one parking lot and just make it rowdy so yeah can't wait man few days all right UCF minus nine and a half do it right now all right what's next number two we have the Washington Huskies minus 14 against Cal look University of California was tied at 13 last week late in the third with powerhouse what UC Davis (laughs) Okay. An FCS team. Another FCS team that tied at 13 at the end of the third. <laughs> so, you know, maybe the separation isn't that bad between. We wouldn't have lost. That. Like, I don't know. I just, you know, this is a Pac 12 game, and I, I just feel like the whole Pac 12 is overrated. I, I think if anyone should get a automatic bowl or a NY6 automatic bowl bid, we, sh- we deserve one just as equally as, as the Pac 12. I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, Cal against UC Davis can't hold on to the football. They lost four fumbles. Meanwhile, Washington, this will be their second home game in a row. They're comfortable. Weather's great up there, by the way, too. And uh, oh, yeah. Washington right now is ranked 13. 
They beat Eastern Washington 47-14. A rivalry game, Cal-Washington, pretty much border each other minus Oregon. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I it's, just, it's just not enough. 14 points. Washington's a good team. Cal is not. Cal hasn't been good since they had, like, Jared Goff, and even then they weren't that good. I agree with you. Uh, Expert handicapping. <laughs> Washington's good. Cal's not. Hey. All right, so take Washington minus 14. All right, and what's your last pick? Last pick, we're going to go with Maryland plus the three versus Syracuse. Now, the game is in Maryland. All right. Big home field advantage for Maryland, by the way. That You know, crab cakes and football, that's what Maryland does. Oh, yeah, really. I, I saw that. <laughs> There was like maybe five thousand Maryland fans for the UCF game when we beat them like forty to ten or whatever. Yeah, it was last year. It was two years ago. They just came out. They just came off a seventy-nine nothing win over Howard. So that's not, how you should not be messing F- around with that's, an FCS team. That's now. how you should be at an FCS school. I don't know. They had know. that like over conditioning thing, and the guy, you know, obviously, unfortunately, passed away. The coach was forced to step down last year, but I think they really came together as a team, finished the year strong, and. Yeah, I think I think they look good. I mean, obviously the first game wasn't that against that good of a team, but like we've talked about multiple times already, a lot of these big schools are having trouble with the FCS schools. Maryland was not one of them. Syracuse, on the other hand, a less than stellar performance against FCS Liberty. It was twenty four nothing, but you really should blow out of FCS. School. You should score at least, especially 40. if you're ranked in the top twenty five. Yeah, Maryland. Maryland in the ESPN matchup predictor has a 67% chance to win outright. Usually when it's more than 50-50, or usually when it's more than a 60% chance, you're the very least favored. Yeah. So Maryland plus the three. I'm getting free points there. Right. Neither of these teams have given up a single point yet, both defensive shutouts in the first week. Interesting. So it could be a little bit of a lower scoring game. Although Maryland did have over 600 yards of total offense against Howard. We'll just have to see. Maybe maybe it'll be somewhere in the middle. You know, it's interesting. Sy- a couple little UCF tidbits about this game. One, Syracuse's coach, Dino Babers, I know you guys remember him. He was our head coach for like two days or something. Well, I don't know. Remember that? Well, Frost, well not officially. Not officially, but he was like... Everyone, like, leaked it from, like, multiple sources. He was denying it. I don't really know what happened. I don't know if we ever will, but it ended up being Scott Frost. And actually, the guy we were going for was Greg Schiano at that time. Uh, Really funny. Another thing, too, is that Syracuse is obviously the front runner for college game day week three. So there's extra incentive for Maryland to win this game because that knocks them out of contention. and. I mean, you guys remember how much fun college game day was last year. You should see the smile on my face right now just <laughs> thinking about it. Let's go. And it'll make it even better when we go 3-0 and this week and have all that money. So That's right. Game right. day, here we come. Maryland plus the three. Maryland plus the three. So what, what were the other two picks? Let's recap it. We got pick of the week, pick of the month, pick of the year, pick of the century. UCF minus nine and a half. Washington minus 14, and Maryland plus three. Let's get that money. All right. couple little segments here before we get to the mailbag. This is a new one I came up with. It's called Probs Probs. So I had, you know, I make notes and stuff every week in my phone of stuff I want to talk about. And I was like, you know, sometimes there's a lot of time there's something I want to kind of complain or 
whatever about, and I, I don't really have a way of doing it. I'm just like, oh, next up, here's whatever I'm thinking about. So here's a segment. It's called Probs Probs, and I'm just going to talk about something I have a problem with. And this one's a big one this week. Seen quite a few examples of it. Guys, stop bashing our players on Twitter. It's not a good look. It's not a good look for a fan to be bashing our players. Recruits see it. Players see it. It doesn't. It's not going to help the players. Think, oh, like you know, Joe Schmo said I sucked or shouldn't have fumbled. I'm going to do better next game. No, it's going to hurt them. He's going to be like, dude, our fans aren't even behind us. Um, the parents see it. It's just not a good look for us as fans. For us as a school. I mean, every school has their bad fans, but let's eliminate some of them. There's a couple, a uh, couple examples I want to give. Someone, you know, talked about Wimbush and said he should never see the field again. Well, first of all, what's that say to anyone thinking about transferring to UCF? And be like, I don't want to do that after half a decent game, and the fan base is saying they don't ever want to see him. Well, first of all, Wimbush might have to see the field again. If you know, you never know if something's going to happen. We want to embrace him here, but we want to show that we embrace all recruits. And honestly, he took a big leap of faith coming here, and I can't fault him for that at all. I, you know, Obviously, I'm a little critical of him, but I don't say anything negative like that. If he sees the field again, I'll be happy to, and I'll be happy for him. And you know, we all have our opinions, but you know, what you think and what you say should be different. And you know, Twitter's a great platform. Like 10 years ago, Fans were never able to interact with the players like this. I mean, it's actually pretty cool. Like like that Joe Schmo person I was talking about earlier, you only have a couple followers, but I mean, you can tag these players and they'll respond to you. And there was a lot of that going on this week back and forth, which I think, I don't know. I, I just don't think it's a good look. Um, use this in a positive way. Tell, tell guys they did well, or if they make a mistake, you know, I remember uh, someone had the unsportsmanlike penalty in the bowl game, and I was like, look, man, we all make mistakes. Just learn from it. Like, what the hell? What's it going to do? Is it going to go back in time and not make the penalty? No. So you can either make them feel bad about it, make them feel bad about our fan base and kind of resentful towards the school, or tell them you can do better next time. And, again, for a lot of you guys that think you're coaches and stuff like that, these guys know a lot more about football than you. So just shut your mouth. And let's keep it classy. Keep it positive. All right. That's probs probs. What grinds my gears? That's fun. I just get to like <laughs> complain for five yeah, minutes. It's like a full five minute fine bomb rant. Yeah. All right. This uh, is your show, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, last up, couple updates on some NFL nights. Wyatt Miller, cut by the Jets, immediately signed to the Bengals practice squad. Jordan Franks was also cut by the Bengals and signed to their practice squad which means he's one of 10 players that is on their practice squad but not on the 53-man roster. But Franks got called up and played some meaningful minutes last year, so that was cool. Um, Matthew Wright, unfortunately, cut by the Steelers. We saw that coming. Unless the incumbent, Chris Boswell, had a bad preseason, which he did not. We knew they were going to give him the job. But the good thing is is good kickers are hard to find, and his phone's going to be ringing sooner probably rather than later he had a great preseason missed an extra point a field goal in the last game but was pretty much perfect besides that had some good kickoffs too um and Rashard Causey was cut by the Broncos I don't think I've seen him picked up by anyone yet but again in the NFL there's lots of injuries so you never know gotta gotta always be ready when your name's called everyone else uh pretty much in the same place they were last time we talked all right Let's do our last segment now, Moose Mailbag. 
All right, Moose Mailbag. This first question comes from at Nico K. Rico. Do you feel like Stanford or Pitt have a chance against UCF? Watching their first games, they didn't look like convincing Power 5 teams. I feel like UCF offense can overpower them both. Yeah. I, I mean, wait, so do I feel like they have a chance? Not really. But, I mean, again, you know, we only played an FCS team, and who knows? I, I want to see us play this week. But I'm feeling pretty confident. I think our hardest games are going to be Houston and, and Cincinnati. How do you feel? Yeah, I'm the same way. The I thought Houston looked pretty good against. I mean, Oklahoma is something else, though. Yeah, uh, Jalen so, Hurts looked really good. Yeah. Like Heisman contender. Uh, well, yeah, he looked good, but I think it's Houston's defense is that bad. Yeah, like I said before, that game us versus Houston is going to be a shootout, hundred points scored, but easy. Pitt, very underwhelming. Stanford, the same. And their quarterback got hurt, too, so it might be the backup playing playing against us. Yeah, we'll just we'll just have to see. All right, next question from James Reed, JLR. By the way, if you don't follow this guy on Twitter and Instagram, it's at CostSegAdvisor. He is, like, constantly rolling out videos and memes and stuff. Like, any use, anyone ever mentions anything bad about UCF, and he'll hit you with, like, four or five replies with, like, memes and video slideshows and stuff proving his point. Excel spreadsheets, like, dude is on top of his game. So, shout out to JLR. His question for receiver, we know Gabe is the lead. Who do you think will distinguish themselves as the breakout wide receiver that we think should get more catches because he's that good? Well, I think Trey Nixon should be that guy that needs to step up. We didn't see a whole lot of Marlon Williams, who I was I was surprised pretty hyped up on uh, in the off season. I was surprised, um, by that. but Trey did lead with six catches. He didn't seem to have a good connection with Dylan Gabriel, though. I thought the best combo really seemed to be on the same page, minus the one overthrow was Wimbush and Gabe Davis. So yeah. anyway, we saw another handful of receivers. Uh, some of the other freshmen, Kavana Maud had a catch, Ryan O'Keefe had a catch, Amari Johnson uh, also had a really long touchdown. So yeah, I'm not too sure. I like the I like the way Amari Johnson Amari Johnson's got some speed. Yeah, and so. O'Keefe O'Keefe was the, kind of the standout guy in practice too. So we'll just have to see. I mean, I I know as, as well as you do. I, I re appreciate the question though. This next one's from Brando Nitro. Was FAU that bad, or was Ohio State that good? No, FA, and we talked about this a little, well, we did talk about it. I mean, I, I don't think Ohio State showed they were that great by beating FAU. I just don't think FAU was that good. Uh, I mean, the what's his name, Fields, Justin Fields, the transfer, he looked pretty good. Um, you know, they did lose a lot of guys on defense, though, this year, so we'll just have to see. It's tough. It, it's tough to gauge after one week. I think it was a combination of the both would be my answer. Yep, I was going to say, I think it's both. Ohio yeah. State's, they're always good. I mean, when was the last yeah. time Ohio State was bad? It's before Urban. So, and, and you know, this is the thing. Uh, I think the year after Urban left, it was – or the year after Jim Trestle left, it was Luke Fickle. I think he did all right, and then they just dropped off after that. So this year they should be good. It's can Ryan Day keep that continuity after losing the big coach? We'll just have to see. Um, but, yeah, I agree. I think it's a combination of the both. All right, next question from Doug McIntyre. Why was Bam kept in while we were leading by 1,000? Makes no sense. At that point in the game, it would have been better to put in the second string and test them. So I guess 
the post-game interview or just right after the game was over, like the on-field interview, big props to the reporter for having the balls to actually ask the question yeah. to Hype. And Hype obviously was very upset, but he did man up and answer the question. I guess they were all on like snap counts, so uh-huh. it really didn't matter like how late in the game it was. It was just, was. A number. It just wanted to get you know Bam say, a certain amount of a snaps. certain amount of snaps. And it was the end of the, it was the end of the third quarter, so it's not like it was the very very end. It just happened. We were up by a lot. You know, we talked about it before. Hindsight's twenty twenty. I don't know. Obviously, if I had to go back in time and decide whether to leave him in, I would take him out. But we can't change that. I mean, and you know, the coaches are all humans. I think in the future we might be a little bit more careful. But like you said, they were just trying to get him a certain amount of reps, and. You know, they had a system, they stuck to it, and shit happens. Um, it, it sucks, but we can't change it, and there's really no reason to talk about it anymore from this point going forward, in my opinion. Next question is from at UCF Jaguar. Do you think we can go undefeated with Wimbush under center? Yeah, I think we can. I think we can too, but I think there's going to be a lot closer games. Like a lot of... Yeah, it, uh Closer games than, than really should be. Yeah. I'm not sold on him yet. Sold on Gabriel. No, though. because, I mean, <laughs> dude, I don't think Gabriel missed. Gabriel had one overthrow. I think Wim, like that was like a guy that would have been a touchdown. I think Wimbush had three, so that's a two-touchdown difference. You know, if the game was closer, those plays would have meant a lot more. You know, like the overthrows we remember, I think Gabe Davis wide open in the Fiesta Bowl, and then the drop we remember by him, too. Those actually meant something, you know? So we'll, we'll just have to see. Uh, next question from Golden Knight 2. Which of our three running backs should get the most touches versus FAU, A.K. Otis or Greg, and why? So is it out of any any of them, or he's only giving me those three? He gave you those three, but feel free to answer. All it's right. our show, not so his. So in that order, I would say I really like McCray leading the, the, the touch leading the touches out of those three, then AK, then Otis. You really want to see Greg McRae be the workhorse back, along with, I got to tell you, man, I just love what Bentavious I knew that was coming. This game, dude. I knew that was coming. The kid looks like a beast. Um, he needs to take some of the load off of McRae. Killens up the middle doesn't work. We've said it a million times. Use him on the little gadget plays and stuff gadget like that. Gadget plays, or Big. I'd be okay with a draw. Draw? Because usually on draws, there's like massive holes in draws the middle where or, he can get in open space or th- and do something. Or throw to him out of the backfield, which is an extension of the run game. But you, like you said, you give him the ball in which space. Which we never do. Whatever. Ever. Uh, but yeah, I mean, my answer to that would be, honestly, keep it at like 8-8 eight, eight and 6 McCray, or maybe 10 McCray. Eight for Otis, and you know it doesn't have to be the same every game. Uh, I think it's what what's important is like the quality or the type of touch, as opposed to the quantity of it. You know, give these guys chances to succeed. I think we should use Otis in the slot. Th- those should be his touches, and then you know run him and some stuff out of the backfield. Uh, but yeah, again, this is a great problem to have. Too many good players. Yep. <laughs> All right, this one's from MD Knight, twenty sixteen. Did Houston's ass kicking hurt? Did Houston getting their ass kicked hurt UCF more than the wins Tulane, Cincy, and Memphis got over the weekend? No, I don't think so because I mean Houston wasn't. Oklahoma's a really, really good program. I mean, 
I don't think that surprised anyone. They covered the spread, so honestly, they did better than what Vegas yeah. expected. Um, you know, it was within two scores a little bit in the second half. They were really slow starting off, and then I think they got it going. I don't, I don't think that hurt us. I think the wins were the, the wins were good. They were more yeah. than I expected. So. Yeah, I think the wins for Tulane, Cincy, and Memphis really meant a lot for the conference. Yeah, well, Tulane, not really so much, but Cincy and Memphis, yeah. You want to talk about expectations. That's Tulane true. minus two, and they That's win true. by like 28. That's true. That's true. That's true. All right. Yeah, I agree. That they was, got Auburn this week. That, that was this close to being a money move pick, taking Tulane. What's the spread in that 18 game? 18 and a half. Which could be a little overrated because, especially, too, you're looking at a primetime game. Everyone was watching that Auburn-Oregon game. Auburn's going to you know, be. Everything came together. What Auburn was getting their ass kicked in That's the first true. half. That's true. Too you know? Lame. Maybe sneaky. All right. I see it. Um, all right. Last question here. We'll wrap it up. Tulane Moneyline. This is from Bucket of Donuts. <laughs> Plus, like, 800. Will we see a continued use of a two-QB system as we saw last week versus FAMU? That's the million-dollar question, is it not? Uh, I personally don't want to see it. Really? I do want to see it, 100%. Dude, this is like their last final exam before we decide who the real starter is going to be versus Stanford. I think you rotate them in, tell them you're going in three series at a time or whatever, may the best man win. This is it. I mean, you are right, but I would love to see Wimbush just – Take control, man. That's fine, too. Yeah. Like, even though I have a huge man crush on Dylan Gabriel right now. Oh, yeah. Like, I just... Ah, I don't, don't want to lose... Here's the thing. You don't want him to lose, like, his other year of eligibility after the red shirt, you know? But think about this. We don't want to lose a game, though. If, if he's he... that good, do you think he's really going to even stay the full four years after that? So yeah. you might as yeah, well like yeah, yeah. use him now, don't He's you not think? Like that, that, that good. I mean, Mackenzie was always going to stay for four years, and he was very, very good. That's true. Yeah. I don't know. But, I don't know what to do. Yeah, Maybe you are right. I think you just changed my mind. <laughs> three and three. Yeah. Why not? Let the mess man win. Let him settle. But it then, on the what field. do you do with Mac? I, dude, what if Wimbush comes in right? First three series, he's like two of eight for like. 10 yards, and he missed two wide opens. And then Gabriel comes in, it's like back-to-back touchdowns. Then what? Gabriel's a starter. Why not? Well, then what about Stanford when Mac's healthy? We don't know if he's going to be healthy for Stanford. If he he was, what would you do? (laughs) You got to go with Gabriel, Yeah, me too, man. But Mac, (laughs) have Mac ready to go. But then how you just like lost it? Dude, I don't know, man. I... I don't know. It, you you can't every week. Everything is every week. Everything is a, this. everything. You know, there's so many hypotheticals, but you have to take what's certain in front of you and make the best decision with that for your football team. And I think if if what you said happens with Gabriel being great and Wimbush being so so next game, then you got to go with Gabriel going forward. Even if Max fully hurt or fully recovered at any point in the season, he hasn't had this, had any snaps. Now, if we're struggling at the quarterback position, regardless of who's the starter, then I think you start to look back to Mac. But if it ain't broken, don't fix it. The age-old what if Hi- What if Heupel's in the back, like, the whole time he told Gabriel, like, look, you're the guy, you're the guy, but I got to give Wimbush a chance. He wouldn't say that. You don't Nothing. say it. Or you maybe know, just in his head. It, maybe in his – I don't know. You never tell that to players. Though. You want to tell them they suck to make them play better. Like, that's, like the, that's how you coach. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. I don't, know. I don't really see Dylan as, like, the cocky type. 
I don't know, man. You see that hoop earring though? <laughs> that <laughs> that is hoop a earring weird. and the stud. That. Yeah. That's the new look though. Yeah, the haircut. Wimbush had some crazy hair too. Everyone. Yeah. I don't know what he he like dyed his hair or uh, something. Yeah, something. I don't know. Are we just old and this stuff's like normal? I, I, I told my wife that I wanted the Dylan hey, Gabriel haircut. And she oh, said, oh yeah. No. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yeah, I'm not. sure that looked great. <laughs> um all right, let's wrap it up. We will see you guys all, hopefully, fingers crossed, at the FAU game Saturday. If you haven't got tickets, SeatGeek promo code UCF Problems for $20 off. Look out on Twitter for the tailgate location. It's going to be a good time. Yeah, let's everybody meet up. I've never actually been to Boca, so I don't it's, know uh, what's going on. It's like uh, it's like Naples, kind of, but a little like bigger. Okay. I, yeah. A lot we'll of, like, all be there. A lot of expensive. I'll be crap. there. I'll be there. Pop will be there. Everyone's going. Um, yes, it's going to be a good time. Uh, anything else? If you have any you know, comments, suggestions, feedback, what we did wrong, what we really suck at, what we shouldn't talk about. We like feedback. No, seriously, tweet us. We appreciate it. Uh, all criticism is widely accepted. And if you haven't given us a review yet on iTunes, please, please yeah. just take like two minutes. Two seconds. Dude, star, star, boop. Oh, they're great. Done. Review. Yeah, it is pretty cool that, you know, from the listeners, couldn't have done it without you guys. We are the number one reviewed UCF podcast. Number one rated on iTunes. Number one rated. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're just growing week to week. So well, that is right. We're still, yeah, number one reviewed and number one rated. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so anyway, that's it. Go nice. Charge on. Shots. Shots.